to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm wonderful. I'm so glad. I finished all my Christmas shopping today, which by the time people are listening, they're going to be like, hope so, because this comes out after Christmas, but we're recording it on... (laughs) We're recording on the 5th of December, so it feels really good. I just have to wrap everything now. Oh, well. I had um, a crazy weekend at work. Friday night, I've told Jen this story. I felt like I was living a live version of Clark Griswold's Christmas Vacation. I was like, are there cameras somewhere? Because we had so many traumas from people who were decorating for Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, falling through the attic into their living room to falling off the second story of their house stringing Christmas lights. You know, here's what I have to say, y'all. Be careful. Ladders are not your friend, okay? Ladders are a bad idea. Ladders in the rain are a bad idea. Ladders getting on a roof after dark, especially bad idea. Okay. Let's save that for daylight. Dresden way. Do you remember how steep the roof was? Yes. Well, the first year we were there, there were leaves all in the gutter. And so Chad's like, me and Will are going to go up on the house. And and I'm like, oh dear God, Will is not allowed to go on that roof. And Will's like going all the way to the top and over to the other side. I'm like, I, I can't, no, get the child off the roof. I mean, of course they were fine, but then Chad got stuck up there and I had to help him because he, he doesn't like height. Oh, so then he was afraid to come down? Yes. I was like, I was like, I am going to have to go somewhere and find somebody to come and get Chad off Call the fire roof. department. Like, I know. <laughs> but luckily he got down, but he never got back up there again after that. But I was like, it was, but hearing your stories of the emergency room, I'm, I don't like people up on the roof. I told you the story of when Will was maybe 12 or something, and he was up on the roof of our other house. And I said, get off the roof. I've told you and told you not to get on the roof. And he said, but you haven't told me today. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was Will for you. But that, that roof was not a scary roof. It was No, a, it wasn't. little tiny. It was a very low-pitched roof. Low-pitched roof. Yeah. Not like this other one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> anyway. Whew. <sighs> All right. Well, today uh, we have a customer service shout out from Rachel in Nashville, Tennessee. She wrote, so there's a bit of a backstory to my experience this week. We all have probably gotten those yellow letters in the mail from folks offering to buy your house for cash fast. These wholesalers will buy your property for about 70 cents on the dollar. And for them, the name of the game is to send out as many letters as possible in order to get opportunities to buy. It's annoying to get them, but I just toss them since I'm a realtor and I would be handling my own real estate. However, it is worse when you get daily text messages from them 
for years. That's not as bad, except that now they are doubling up and I'm getting text for a guy I don't know about a property I don't own. Let's call him Jim Doe. The text goes something like, hi, Jim, if you still own 146 Somewhere Avenue, I'd like to talk with you about selling it. We're buying in your area. I do not know how my number got associated with a total stranger since I'm the only one that has had this number for over 20 years. I have never changed cell numbers or carriers. She wrote hashtag unicorn and I get it. I wish I had my old phone number. It was a great phone number. She continues to say this week, I went to a big box store where I have signed up for coupons using my phone number. I stood in a long line and was determined that I was going to have a good attitude no matter how long it took to check out. And when I got to the cashier, I was happy and smiled as she looked up my name in their system using my phone number. To my shock, she asked if I wanted to use my name or Jim Doe's. I told her the backstory. And as she checked me out, she said, if you'll wait until we check you out, maybe I can help. So she then looked the number up again and tried to delete him from their system. When that didn't work, she gave me his email address. I was thrilled. For the first time, I have a way of contacting this guy and seeing what the deal is. Perhaps I can buy his house and then have something to sell to the wholesalers. (laughs) But after this, she changed his number to something else in the system so that at least I'm not connected in their system anymore. It was a small thing that may not result in anything, but I'm pretty sure she shouldn't have really shared that information with me. I'm not going to abuse it, but it felt like a huge win to be given some resources to get to the bottom of this annoying mystery. So to a nameless lady at the big box store in Franklin, Tennessee, Thank you for helping me solve this problem. And I hope you have a great day. And uh, confession for me. So sometimes when companies ask me for my phone number, I purposely transpose two numbers in the last four. Maybe that's what Jim Doe does. Well, that's, did you see the Seinfeld where Elaine has a fake number that she would always give out? No. She gave it to this guy. He, Denim Vest was his name. She was at a party. <laughs> this guy out on a denim vest. She called him Denim Vest. He's like, oh, he's, it was made with snaps instead of buttons. Oh, so, you know? that sounds attractive. And so she gave him the fake number, but she wrote it down on a sub card that Jerry wanted. No, 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 no. That um, George wanted back. And so then they had to go find the fake number place. And they were like, you're Elaine? Because the people had been calling for years. To this. <laughs> it was like a business. I actually, here's a tip for that. I have a, it's a Google phone, phone number. number. Yeah, it used to be our home phone number. And then I went through a multi-step process when we had a landline. I didn't want to lose that number. So I went through a multi-step process. First, I had to assign it to a, a mobile phone. And then I could transfer that mobile phone to Google. So it's a Google phone number, but no one can actually call it. I mean, they can call it, but it only goes to voicemail and I can look at them. So all my junk goes to that. Oh, well, that's a great idea. In case it's like something I really do want. But I will tell y'all a tip. If you get a text, the latest thing they're trying to do with all these texts is they will like be like, hey, George, I really need to talk to you. Give me a call back or something. But they're not really looking for George. They just want right. to see if it's a real phone number. And then they are like any kind of weird text. Never respond to a weird text that you don't know who it's from because they will take that and put you on this weird list. And then you start getting all these spams. That happened to me. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Have yep. you done that too? No, no. I'm pretty good about not falling for stuff like that. But it was. It looked like it's like, hey, what you doing or something. It was some kind of a message that looked like it was a friend. Well, if they're not in my phone, they they're well, not my then friend. I was, well, yeah, I realized that <laughs> I did it one time. <laughs> 
and then never again. So never reply and don't even don't reply at all. Just ignore them. I don't even answer the phone. So no, but I'm talking about these are texts. I like know. If someone texts you with that. No, I don't answer the phone unless, unless I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I would answer if Sherry called. Well, I would hope I'm in your phone. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but I would totally answer if it was you. Anyway, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the Life Lesson of the Week, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And um, a while back, I shared about a huge life-changing betting hack and... um, I don't know. You may not have heard that. My husband and I, I'm sure every married couple has this battle where the sheet and the top blanket is just not wide enough and you're fighting over the blankets. So I'm a tucker. I want the blanket all tucked around me. And uh, my husband would constantly pull it out from underneath me. I found the perfect solution. It is a oversized blanket that you use in place of a top sheet. It is made from muslin. It is temperature regulating. So you're not going to get overheated. You don't sweat. It like It's hard to explain. It keeps you warm, yet you can feel air circulating through it. It's really amazing. That's all I have to say. I looked at it for a long time, finally bit the bullet, bought it last year around Christmas time. I now have two of them because I love them so much. And I also have their robe, which is amazing. And I have throw blankets for my living room. So to say that I am obsessed with these muslin blankets is um, an understatement. This is a 100% breathable muslin cotton blanket. It is moisture wicking, hypoallergenic, resistant to microbes, mites, and allergens. And for this allergen girl, that is really great. If you want to learn more about this blanket, go to lifelessonscommunity.com and go to the shop with us tab. And uh, there's a link there for muslin comfort, or you can just go to show notes and I'll have a link that'll take you right there. Use discount code life lessons at checkout and save 10%. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about overcoming everyday adversity with Christopher Greco. Like many of us, Christopher grew up with unique struggles and challenges. And while he would have loved to have had an easier life at the time, the question is, would he be the man he is today if not for the struggles in his earlier life? As a husband and father with a successful career, he poses the idea that having a challenging life can actually be a good thing. And he wants to help others turn their challenges into helping them become better, stronger people. Welcome, Christopher. Good to be here. So when I was reading your bio, you live in my hometown. In Kansas City? Overland Park, Kansas. Oh, wow. There you yep. go. Yeah. And your church is like a couple blocks from my parents' house. Wow. There you go. See, we could have done this live like in a basement or somewhere, right? <laughs> well, I am now living in Alabama. Oh, okay. So I'm a long way from home. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it's such a small world. It is. It is. We love Overland, you know, Overland Park. We've been here now 16 years but it is the complete antithesis of my hometown, which is uh, South Beach. Yeah. Yeah. You're a Florida, Florida guy. Yeah. Florida guy. East Coast all the way, which 
Sherry, as you know, is different from the Midwestern uh, culture. Oh, yes. Everyone gets along. There's no confrontation, which is fine. But yeah, so it's been a great uh, great experience and we're, we're blessed to be here. It's taken me about eight years to adapt to living down here. Awesome. So, I mean, it is, it's a different world. That sounds like you've adapted to me, right? It's taken a while, but I've done it. It's definitely, I mean, it, it's weird. It's almost like moving to a different country. Things are different. Yeah, they say the, um, every, you know, I've done, a, I've done, you know, a couple reloads and I remember the, someone told me when I first moved here, oh, it would take, you know, relocation, it takes about a year, you know, you know, two years to adjust. It takes a while, you know, especially when we were moving 1500 miles away, right? Now, when I moved from Kansas City to Denver, it took me really about a year. It was about a year, and I walked out of Costco one day, and I was like, wow, I live in a really beautiful place. And it, at that point, it was like I felt like it was my Costco and my home. And it was kind of like I remember the experience. I didn't ever have that click here. I think it just happened slowly over time. But The click for us is when I came home one day, and I had 12 women with my wife in our living room. <laughs> And you're like, we live here now. And then right. we live here. I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right. Are we, are, are we good? I mean, are we good now? I'm just like, yes, we're good. So, Love it. So, well, yeah. before we get into your background and your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? Uh, ease is the enemy. Oh, I love that. Yep. Ease is the enemy. The uh, I run a, a technology company and doing any early stage company or really doing anything that I think is purposeful or, or meaningful in life, people have to understand that it's it's hard. Right. I mean, even though doing the smallest things can be very hard. So I think that it's a mindset that if we understand that, that ease is, is the enemy, that it's to be expected, I think it de- develops and gives you the proper mindset to go into anything that you choose to accomplish. I like the foreword to your book. I don't remember who wrote it. He said he brought up the quote. I believe this was the foreword that life is good. You know, you see it everywhere. Life is good. But he said they're missing a crucial part. Life is good, but life is hard. You know, 100%. I was a teacher for 28 years. And, you know, I started teaching in 1990 and I retired in 2018. And, you know, I have have sons. One is 23 and one is 24 right now. And I think we've we've done a disservice to the kids that are, are young adults right now because at some point along the way, from when I started teaching in 1990 till the time I left in 2018, we somehow changed the message of what was happening in school to never allowing children to suffer or feel bad. And like, you know, everything was supposed to be fun. You were supposed to be successful. We were never, everybody was always supposed to feel like they were achieving. And I'm seeing it play out now. And some of these young adults are really struggling because they, they're used to ease. They're used to all the, you know, all the scaffolds we put in place and they're never released. They're not used to ease. They're used to being told that maybe it should be easy and we have strive to be happy. I mean, even our founding father said happiness is a, is a pursuit, right? It's not, it's not guaranteed. But so Dr. Maureen Duffy wrote the uh, forward in my book and she, she actually framed up the, she basically, some, she read it and she's like, look, Chris, the message is life is good and it's hard. 
Um, that was something I've known her for 25 years, and that's something we discussed, you know, early on. But I think the T-shirts, they're good. I like the branding. I know those two, those two gentlemen are making a ton of money off the life is good with a smiley face, but only tells half the story about life. Life is good and it's hard. And going with that in that mindset, I think having that mindset, I, I think, is critical. So behind me, do you see what that pillow says? <laughs> Oh, life wow. is good. Apparently, no. I need a companion pillow. pillow. Get rid of it. Got to change it. <laughs> just get another one. A life is good, and also life right? is hard. The second well, pillow. Well, I think that's that's really that's just the missing piece because we want to feel like life is good, but anything worth having is worth working for, and and you're not going to enjoy every moment of every day. That's not even real life. If life was always good, could you value it? Right. What value does that have? Zero. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, before we really get into talking about the book and the concepts in it, just could you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and um, what led you to write a book? Yep. So, yeah, I'm a father, husband, president, CEO of of Storewise, which is a a retail uh, automation company. So, I build software to help uh, grocers make their operations more efficient. But I only serve the independent. Uh, grocery store. So that's, that's your local. I will not sell to Amazon, Whole Foods, Kroger. I like, I'm about small business and making them successful. That's what our software does. That's the, I'll just give you that, that shameless plug. What drove me to write the book? I thought about it probably for a few years before I actually put pen to paper. And I wrote it, it first started out as lessons for Jonathan, which was a list of probably 30 or 40 lessons for my son, who is a few years old at the time. I wanted him to have something, you know, in case so to read in case, you know, I wasn't around. A guidebook. I call it the uh, emergency break glass. (laughs) I've hit a wall. I don't know what else to do. I kept writing and writing and um, I got to like a few thousand words and I was traveling from 20 and my the first startup that I joined, I was the, the vice president. I was part of the the leadership team, and I was traveling quite a bit, like fifty, sixty flights a year, which is extensive. That's um, a lot. And uh, I made it a point to be home a lot. I never left. I rarely left on Sunday nights. I always took the six a.m. And at six a.m. is that you know your mind is awake. So I wake up at four, get on the flight at six, and I had two, three hours to the West Coast from Kansas City. And I started, I just committed to like, like every single morning, you know, type, you know, type. And I got to a few thousand words and 10,000. And then I said, you know, I might have a book here. And then, you know, life happened the stuff gets in the way and it kind of shelved on its own for a while, which usually happens with a lot of people, no matter what goals they have. And then in 27, in, um, in 27, November, 2017, I got a phone call that my best friend was killed in a car accident. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he had three, he had three little ones. And I remember that he and I had a discussion a while ago. I said, you ever think about where we're going to leave our, you know, if something happens to us, you know, I lost my father when I was 15 and his wife, who I knew the whole family very well, I gave the eulogy. I was looking at his wife and, you know, there's probably, he was, he was a very successful entrepreneur. He and I almost went into business together in 2016. I saw him like three months. He was in Kansas City about three months before he died, I was sitting during at the, the eulogy and I was, what hit me was his son, Mac, was roughly the same age I was when my father passed. Wow. And I remember what was told to me the day my father passed by my neighbor, that she said, Chris, don't worry, one day you're going to be successful at this. 
and I want to make sure I gave him a message. But, you know, after that experience, I said, I mean, I got, I got to flipping write this book. I just got to go and get it done. So I said, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to dedicate two hours every, you know, three, four mornings a week. And I just got up, you know, whether it was on the plane, if, if I was, even I was home, I was up writing. I had an iPad with a, with a keyboard attached to it, which you can take anywhere, good battery life. So if I had to get out of the house and be at Starbucks at five thirty in the morning typing away, I was doing that. Vacations, no matter what I had, it, that book was getting written. I got it to like, you know, 12, 14,000 words. And I said, let me bring in a, let me find a publisher who'll work with me. And I found a great publisher. They put the structure, help you with the structure. They challenge you saying, hey, you need to expand on this thought, this chapter, you can go deeper here, you know, and that was about a two year process. And, you know, I, I launched the book in September, 2020 during right in the, the heart of, you know, COVID and it generated quite a few reviews pretty quickly, about 50 reviews. I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's, it's busting the charts or it'll be a New York times bestseller. But at the end of the day, the goal was to give Jonathan and Amanda something they can read after I'm long gone. And so, you know, mission accomplished there. That's wonderful. Great story. I know how hard it is to write a book. And so I'm right there with you on that. It feels amazing to see it out there in print, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And especially when you get like, you get some anonymous, you know, not anonymous, but people, just strangers, like writing a review for you. And it is pretty cool. And those that I've, uh, that have personally reached out to me have the fact that they've um, told me their story and told me how much the the book has impacted them. They can talk about it. They, they can actually cite one of the specific steps I think is, um, is meaningful. So, so yeah, so we'll see if another one is uh, in the future, but right now I'm busy working with a great bunch of people uh, uh, scaling a company. So you talk about adversity, you bring it up early in the book and throughout the book. Why is acknowledging adversity important? Because no one escapes it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, no one escapes it. I mean, if someone says that I have, I've never had adversity or never been challenged, I'm like, then what type of life are you leading, man? Right? What type of life are you leading? I mean, there's, I mean, you can, I mean, in one day, if you're really pushing yourself, you can cry, you can laugh, and you can sit back and think deep in thought. And that was something that, that was often ESPN SB award speech by Jimmy Valvano. Who had who had cancer and he got he got a uh, you know the ESPY award, but that you know think about it. If we don't, we have to really push ourselves. And if you're going to push yourselves, then you are you will find adversity. And if you don't, it'll still find you. I, I you ask the question. I ask in, when I interview candidates. You know, tell me a, a time in your life, personally and professionally, where you had to overcome some level of adversity. You'd be interested. It's very compelling to hear the the stories that complete strangers have. So adversity adversity will always find you. It makes me think about, you know, what makes someone able to roll with the adversity or versus it just like makes them just come to a complete halt. That's just a big question. Resilience. I think it's it's, resistance. Like if you are resisting, embracing what has happened and you're not willing to be resilient, then I think that's how you get. I think that's how people get stuck. Have you, have you ladies heard the term uh, a healthy conflict? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So my mom, in, in when my dad was diagnosed in February, and he passed away in September, she told me she was an operating room nurse. I mean, for she, at that time, she had like 30, 35 years under her belt. 
she told me I was the oldest of three. She's saying, look, you know, dad's not going to, he's not going to be here around Christmas. That was like in March. I was 15 years old. She, maybe she didn't say it that directly, but I remember she said it. That's how you heard it. That's how I heard it. Right. Exactly. Sherry. That's exactly how, how I heard it. My point is, is that she was preparing us for what was to come. And I think it was very, very healthy, but she followed that by, we're going to be okay, but it's going to be tough. So we all need to, we need to pull together. You know, I need to pick up an extra shift. So, you know, Elizabeth who was four years old at the time, my sister. So you and John, my, my younger brother, 11, we're going to have to, you, I'm, I'm going to need your help. I have the neighbors they are involved. Right. So, you know, it, it took a little bit of a, a village, but I like the, the fact that, you know, there is that transparency, that healthy, you know, conflict that my mother, you know, embraced by never, you know, beating around the bush and telling no denial. Is. No, Just no denial. face it head on. You had a strong role model then showing you, yes, something bad is, is happening right now and we are going to get through it and it's going to be awful and we're going to be on the other side and we're going to be okay. Yep, exactly correct. And I think it's something, I, I think it was just something kind of, you know, innate because she had a, she had a tough, she didn't have as tough of a childhood. I mean, she, she had both parents, thank God. But, I, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm more like, you know, my mother than my father and the fact that she was uber strong, you know, uber honest. And, and she's like, adversity's here. Okay, let's just get to work. This will just work the problem. So um, in one sentence of the book, it hit me like immediately as I read it. And I went back and I read it because it resonated with me. You wrote, I don't think we often think about the fact that when we improve ourselves, we also improve others, especially when we share what we learned. And I think one of the reasons I just love that so much is because I feel exactly the same way. I always say like sharing is caring. When you share your story with others, it gives them space to really like think about their story and own their story as well. And, um, Years ago, Jen and I met because she had an online community coaching people. And she asked me if I I was popping in and helping. I mean, she didn't ask me to. She didn't know me from Adam. I was jumping in and coaching people. And uh, she's like, hey, do you want to be like an official moderator of my group? And I was like, sure. And the thing that I would always tell people is every time I help somebody else on their journey, I learned something. It's true. Yeah. And I grew stronger and better for sharing my experience or helping somebody through their experience. And I just believe that so much. I think the, you know, that, that was, um, I, I almost can recall the, the chapter in which that, that line was in, but the fact that when you help yourself, you help others, it's sharing an experience and, you know, people are drawn to, we're, we're all drawn to each other's experiences. At the same time, we almost have to, in order for us to believe that we can accomplish something, and this is a problem I have with how, how, how we're wired as humans, we have to know that somebody else already did it. You are right. Yep. I have a podcast, my other podcast, it's called Intermittent Fasting Stories. And the whole thing is stories. You know, um, people share their stories. We're on episode 200 and something of the podcast now. And every episode is how people have moved, you know, beyond adversity and how they're thriving now. And it's, every story is different, right? You know, in in your book, um, part one is called Everyone Has a Story and you really own your story. And, and people, just like you said, they not like to know that other people have moved past the adversity and thrived on the other side. So how do we move beyond adversity and thrive? What do we do? 
that's the essence of the book. I think when you look across the eight steps, and I know we don't have time to to go through all of them, but I can tell you there is one step in there which drove some controversy. I actually renamed, I shift the name of that step, and it was about self-resilience, self-reliance. What was the controversy? Now I'm super intrigued by that. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, it was when you're writing a book, you want to get as many of your trusted, your trusted advisors in early. I had probably 12 people who were looking, who read through the manuscript. And one of my closest allies saying, Chris, I have a problem with step three. And it spoke about that how handouts are harmful. And I didn't change the content of that, but handouts being that what I what I was tell what I was, you know, communicating was the fact that if somebody is always approaching every single circumstance or every single situation in their life with an open hand, expect that that can hurt you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Well, I've watched that in my own life. My mother. I love my mother, but she never took personal responsibility, and she has been supported her entire adult life from first it was her parents, then it was her grandmother, and then it was like friends, and I totally know what you mean. And so I watched that growing up, and I was like, I am going to be independent, darn it. No, And I've never asked anyone for a thing, and Sherry, I'm not good at asking for things, and I'm like, I'm going to do it all by myself no matter what, you know, but I know what you mean by that, and I can see how that might you know, rub someone the wrong way or come across the wrong way. You know, it's, it's, everyone needs a hand up. Everyone needs help. And however, if your go-to is help me, that's when you become, you're no longer independent. I mean, Jen, you said, you said hand out versus hand up. Right. Two completely different things, right? I think so. Yeah. The, um, the, the hand, everyone needs help. I think, I mean, I have a company of 30 people. I can't run this company with one person or 10 people. I need all of them. 100%, right? That story came from, I remember a week after my father died, our church, there's a couple walked in and they came in with, we, they rang the bell and they had like five or six bags of groceries. They brought the groceries inside the house and like, we're here for you. Thank you. I remember the other thing my mother said was, you know, Chris, tell your teacher, I think it was one of my teachers at the time saying, Hey, thank you, but we're good. We can work. Because you didn't want to come to depend on that help from other people. It was a big less. It was, and look, I'm, look, I mean, that was 36 years ago. I still, I still remember that moment. I was a swimmer and a lifeguard. So a lot of my like analogies come back to swimming a, a lot. But I think this is the difference between a person who falls out of a boat and is in the water with their hand up saying, help me, help me, help me. And they're not swimming, right? They're going to drown versus the people who are, swimming and calling for help, right? So you're still saving yourself, right? But it's okay to be saving yourself and ask for help, but you don't want to stand there, you know, treading water, screaming for help and not moving to the shore. Yeah. People want to see that you made the, that you made the effort first. I tried to do this. I failed. Do you have a better way? Do, I mean, can you give me a, give me a hand here? Well, you can't learn a lesson if somebody solves all your problems for you as exactly. well. Exactly. I think that's the point you were making there really with that was that you can't just have everyone solving all your problems, no matter what that, you know, quote, handout looks like. It's someone solving your problems. You've got to become independent and and learn to solve your own problems. You know, I think the big, look, I put those examples of my book of people who have overcome, you know, a lot of, a lot of adversity. And I like having those stories in there because people... 
They need to see exact how somebody solved for something to maybe ignite them to go solve for it themselves. I mean, there's a story. I mean, I, I write about the, um, I think it's Lacey Adams. The gentleman lost his legs when he was like six years old. And he's doing 13-mile Spartan events on his fists. Wow. People struggle to, 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 to walk or jog a mile. I mean, you can't tell me after seeing that, you can't go do that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's here. It's to trust me, it's here. And people think that you're being, you know, unkind or insensitive or you lack empathy saying the things that I did. But I believe in, in, in the power of, of, the, of, of human potential. And we underestimate what, you know, what we can do. David Goggins, who wrote that book, uh, Can't Hurt Me, he was told that, you know, seals are trained that when you're, when your body is telling you you're done, data supporting this, you have 30% more to give. Think about that. We're saying we're done. There's data saying you have 30% more to give. So look, I mean, call it, you know, what it is. I just... I mean, we're incredibly capable species and we can accomplish much more than we, than, than, than we think. And we're way more resilient than people think they are, I think. So you wrote, if you feel that you have been or are emotionally and mentally knocked down and can't get up due to circumstances in your life, work, or family, or believe that your personal hardships cannot be overcome, then that will be your path. And Jen and I are both super strong believers in mindset. Uh, we work in her private online community with members who are trying to adopt lifestyle changes in order to have long, healthy lives and prevent reverse disease. But over the years, we have seen firsthand how mindset really affects success. And if a person comes in and they, the first thing they say is, I don't think this is going to work for me because nothing else has yada, yada, yada. They are going to be people that we are going to see struggle and more often than not fail. And one of our biggest challenges is to get them to flip that mindset. And, you know, we tell people all the time, if you think you're going to fail, then you are going to fail. Come back when you feel like you're going to succeed. We'll, be, we'll support you then because you will succeed then. Are you ladies familiar with the, uh, with, um, the psychologist Carol Dweck? Oh, yeah. I talk about Carol Dweck all the time. <laughs> Yeah, love her work. And when I was a teacher, there you go. And I've got my copy over there. When I was a teacher, I it, once I read mine, I actually saw her speak in person at um, at a gifted conference. I can't remember what year it was, but it changed the way I talked to children in my classroom. It changed the way I praised them. And I actually taught the children about it. I taught the kids about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I was a gifted teacher. And because I believe if they, it's not just me using the tool, I wanted them to understand the tool and use it in their own life. Yeah. So it's, it's about rewarding effort, right? Yep. Versus the result. What led somebody to get to that result? Growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Well, fixed yeah. mindset, you just put a cinder block on your success, right? That's it. You just capped it. Yep. With a growth mindset, it's exponential. Growth is exponential. Yeah. Exactly correct. That's exactly right. Okay. So in the first part of the book, you asked the question, why me? I think we've all been there before. We've all been like, why me? You know? Why not you? Why not what? you? Right? Well, why exactly. You? you know, do you think that's an important starting point for people who are trying to overcome adversity? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, the um I wasn't intending to write a book that would be cat you know, that would be placed in like Amazon's category of spirituality and uh, and Christianity. There are some phrases I use in there which which put which 
justifies that that categorization. But when I say why me and why not me, I, I just wholeheartedly believe that God does not give us more than we can handle. In my heart of hearts, I believe that. No matter what you know, what you believe in yourself, or you know, or like I do, and and you know, in God or higher being, I think that knowing that hey, I was given this because I can handle it, is an important mindset to have, and that we should just you know, you know, carry our own burdens without our complaint because everybody has them. Well, it's true. I got to hear uh, Marie Forleo speak recently at an event that I was at, and her book is called – well, I don't know how many books she has, but the book that she was talking about is Everything is Figureoutable, and you know, talking about how – So she made know, up a word. Figureoutable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but you know, it's true. That's a good marketing idea. I should think about that for my next book. Yeah, I like to make up words I make too. up words all the time, yeah. and my husband's like, that's not a word. I said it is now. <laughs> Yeah, I have a book that's called Cleanish. I made that word up. No. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love her her thought that really everything is figureoutable, you know, but that really speaks to what you just said of getting what you can handle. Whatever is happening, you will be able to figure this out and get through it. It might be really painful. It might hurt physically. It might hurt emotionally. This might be so hard. This might be traumatic. But there is another side to it when you get through it. You know, my grandmother used to use that phrase on me all the time. I had a very, very rough young adult life and first marriage, and something was always happening, usually from the fault of my ex-husband. But (laughs) like, and I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, what's next, you know? And my grandmother always be like, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I was like, well, I need a break. Like, you know, and I was mad. And I was like, can I just catch a break? But you know what? I mean, I've come out on the other side of that. I would not be the person I am today. I would not have the compassion for other people's struggles. I wouldn't have the desire to help other people see that life can be wonderful, that you do have the power to change. You have the power to change your situation, your location, your relationships, I mean, the power lies within you. Uh, you first have to believe in yourself and the idea that this isn't it, right? There's more. The thing is that there's probably, I mean, I look at the three of us, you can multiply our message by a million. I mean, people are so used to the self-help and I think they've, they, they've gotten drowned. They're used to the snake oil salesperson saying you can do anything, right? When I went to you know, write my book, I wanted to make sure that it had two parts. It was the story. Hey, look, you know, I overcame. But I also think there has to be some practicality, right? Hey, you can overcome anything is still only half the story. I think helping people talk through and, you know, I know both you ladies are you know, doing that with your, with your podcast, but maybe have a, a, a reference point where they can talk through, you know, what's, what's step one. I, I, I'm just practical. Like the people have to make the first step you know, on that overcoming adversity, you know, journey. And that first step is different for a lot of people. So let's talk about that a little bit. So when I opened the book and thumbed through it, I immediately thought of Jen's writing style because she's a teacher and um, (laughs) she's a very, I like action-based writer. She's like, all right, we're going to do this. Now we're going to think about this. I want you to reflect on this and now make a plan, right? (laughs) And that is really how the second half of your book um, was really laid out. And I mean, 
it's like the end of each section is a reflection area for the reader. And I mean, like to me, the book is a, a book of prompted self-discovery. I think that's brilliant, Sherry. I, I, I wish I talked to you before I actually launched it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me before you launch your next book. Talk I'll give you ideas. I know. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. It is I think I, because I, you can't just read the book. It actually forces you to pick up the pen and write down your thoughts, right? On Okay, so I gave the step. Now, what are, what are you actually going to do? It does make some suggestions in there and what to write. But uh, I think that the feedback I get is like, wow, this is actually kind of a little bit of a workbook. I think that's important. And, and the, my most recent book, Cleanish, that came out, gosh, it's been almost a year now, January of, of 2022. You know, at the beginning of it, I say, you know, change doesn't happen from the reading. Change happens from the doing. And so, you know, how many books have you read in your life? And you read the book and you're like, all right, I read that. And you do nothing. That's done. Right? Close the page. You're done. None of my books are like that. And it, and it sounds like, you know, that was your intention as well, Christopher. This is not a book someone reads. And then you're like, all right, read that. What can I read next? Well, I like I like to think of it as like a play, a, like a personal playbook. That's you know that's for them. What's you know what needs to happen happen next? And look, if if they apply, if anyone re, any of the, the readers apply even one step, I think that's a you know that's a win. And and I didn't I didn't I cultivated those. I didn't know if it was going to be four steps or eight steps or twenty steps. But those really, when I think about what were the what were the steps I took to get to a place where I can take on anything else, I didn't say happiness. Where I can, because look, something else uh, to all, anyone. I don't think that it's a per that the the I got past something is a permanent state. Something else is going to hit. That is exactly right. There will be something else. There's going to be something else. That's life. There's bumps in the road. I live at the ocean. There's always another wave. the The tide comes in, then it goes out, then it comes in. Oh, there's a hurricane. Oh, I mean, you know. Yep. So if you have that mindset, I think that's important for overcoming everything. So before we wrap up, are you willing to share your eight steps with people or do you want them to write by the book? No, I would. We, we want them to I mean, buy we, the I don't book want, too. I don't <laughs> want to give it away. That's my point. Uh, are you willing to just to give us a little quick rundown of the steps? Here's what we'll do. How about we make it interesting? Okay. I'll, oh, I like to make things interesting. All right. How many, give me an idea and forgive me because this is, I, this is like my fourth podcast this month. I know it's not a lot, but it, between running a company and and helping my wife who runs a fabulous household. Trust so me, she... I know. <laughs> How many listeners do you, does your podcast have roughly? Per episode? Just a, a per episode. Or, last month we had 47,000 downloads for the month. Yeah, 47,000. So here's what I'll do. Okay, let's do this to make it interesting, right? Because the book, I purposely wrote the book where, where I said, I didn't want to write an anthology and most books I read, I get to chapter five or six. And then after the chapters, I find the author repeating themselves. I wanted every single word to count in, in, in my book. So you can read it on a flight from Kansas City to San Francisco or Kansas City to New York or Kansas City. To my, my point is you can read it in about two, three hours. And that includes like writing down the notes of how you're going to apply. The, I, I wanted to make it, you know, very impactful and very quick. So I was, I would offer this is that the first 10 listeners that actually you can download the book. It's four ninety five on Kindle, or if you want to buy the, the copy, I think it's uh, 13 or 14, 14 bucks. I have a link in show notes as well. Okay. The first 10 listeners that download it and reads it in comments, 
I will sign them. If, if there's a way for me to get their address, I will send them a personal signed copy for them to pass to, to personal signed copy and a blank copy. So two books, one to pay it forward, one to keep. Okay. I tell you what, listeners, you're going to have to email me when you have listened to this episode and the first 10 people to email me, I will send your email to Christopher. But not to, it, if you email and it's been five minutes since the podcast came out, you have to have read it. So how can so how can we show that they've read it? Well, they'll want to read it because <laughs> the thing is, is that it's not, and now with the holidays coming up, maybe you know they're taking time off and they're sitting on maybe a dock somewhere or 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 a prairie sherry because the real living in Kansas. Everybody thinks Kansas is a bunch of prairies. Got it. That's what I think. If they thought Johnson, <laughs> if you could come to Johnson County. Here, come to Funny story about that. Listen, we went back for my grandma's funeral. My husband, who's from Alabama, never been there. And we're coming down 435. We exit at Metcalf. And we're staying right in that area. My husband, we're coming in about five o'clock at night through, you know, down I-70 and around through Lee Summit. My husband, small town Alabama boy. He is not sure what to do with, you know, six lanes of traffic. And um, we get to Metcalf and I said, get off here. We were starving. I'm like, there's a subway here. There used to be, I don't know. And I'm like, our hotel's right over there. Oh, my daughter went to high school there. And he's like, but where did you live? And I'm like, I I lived here. Like I worked at the hospital up the street that way. And my daughter went to high school there and my house was right down there. And he's like, wait, you lived here? And I'm like, yeah. He thought Kansas was prairie farmland. Just farmland? He had... (laughs) He had no idea. He thought I was some Midwest country bumpkin that he married. He did not know I was a city girl. <laughs> yeah, according to city girl. I mean, I mean, I come from you know Miami, which is a you know, large a large city. But yeah, I mean, people would be surprised if they came to Overland Park or, or Kansas City. It's a, look, we got the World Cup. We have a great football team. We have an up and coming baseball team. Where the number of startups that are coming and tech startups that are coming out of this region is is exploding. So. Um, and the I, best barbecue in the nation. I'm just going to say that. In right the now. world, Sherry. In the world. <laughs> okay. Just, All right. Well, it would have to be the world because I can't imagine another country has better barbecue. We're also getting a new airport. So, in, in 2023. So, look, Kansas City is a city that's on the move. And um, I'd like to change some, even some of my good friends' perceptions who, about uh, about this area. Look, I've been here for 16 years. Okay. People who know me. No, I love life and I like to live life a little bit on the edge. And if I can be here 16 years and, you know, anyone can, it's a great place. Well, before we wrap up, we need to really clarify, how are people letting, where are they supposed to email Sherry? What's the plan? Well, I guess they can email For the first 10, Sherry at lifelessonscommunity.com. Yep. And they'll need to include their name, their mailing address, and maybe what they took away from it. What do you think about that? I'm a teacher. I'm sorry. I have to give homework. (laughs) What do you think about that, Christopher? Maybe have them cite one 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 of the steps, maybe one of the steps, or, or maybe either cite one of the steps, or maybe tell give give a personal story. Okay, yeah, something that we can tell you read it, and then first ten Sherry at lifelessonscommunity.com. She'll forward that on to Christopher. First ten. Yep. Yep. Love it. Sounds good. All right. Sounds like a good plan. See that all all the good stuff when we put great minds come together. Absolutely, and the teacher to make a plan. Exactly. <laughs> And it's on homework. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so how can our listeners find your book and connect with you? Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're easy. Amazon is the largest uh, bookseller 
there will ever be. So I am on Amazon. You can actually, if you were to go ahead and go into Google and search eight steps adversity, hit enter, I'll be the first result. And that, that'll put them right to the, you know, right to the link. And of course they go into Amazon to search, you know, eight steps adversity or my name, if they want to do it that way. They also can go to my website, ChristopherGreco.org, G-R-E-C-O, so C-H-R-A-S-T-O-P-H-E-R, Greco.org. Uh, and they can also email me directly, cg at ChristopherGreco.org, you know, if they would like. I'm on LinkedIn um, under Chris Greco. They can find me there. So that's probably four ways they could. I'll include all those links on show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Like a plan. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I enjoyed this. This is like what I've, I've had other podcasts where I've had like a, a, you know, a good duo, but I got to tell you, you two are simply fabulous. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. You can interact with Sherry and with me in a private online community. You can also connect with other listeners and community members. And Sherry hosts monthly Zoom hangouts. And I don't attend every one of them, but I go to some of them. It's a lot of fun. You can connect and talk and make new friends from all around. People are from we've had Australia, Canada. Yep. Yep. And the United States. Yes. Um, So, and that's, that's why Sherry tries to pick a time that, that suits people in different time zones, which is why it's, I'm not always there because I'm no good late, like after 8 (laughs) PM Eastern. If it's after 8 PM Eastern, Jenna's not going to be there. I move them up a little bit, but I also try to choose Friday nights because Friday night is Saturday morning in Australia. And oh, so, so people are more likely to be able to be home. Yeah, that I mean, if I did sense. it on a Thursday night, somebody can't get on it, you know, 6, 7 a.m. if they have to go to work in the morning. Yeah. So anyway. Well, but I do, I do move them a little bit yep. to try to hit everybody. And we've had a request for some afternoon video chats for some people that well, can't I do doubt. evenings. If, so. it's, if it's Eastern time afternoon, I would be much more likely to go. Well, we will work something out. Work it out. But you can join the community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP and choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99. You can change to a different tier at the end of any month by managing your subscription within the platform. This really helps support our podcast, the costs associated with it. So choose the option that feels like the right value to you. And again, that's lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Teresa Sellers, the owner of a long-term care company that specializes in dementia and end-of-life support care. She says, I lived with dying people and they taught me more about living. She said, today I want to share how to live with hospice while dying while also trying to survive the holidays, y'all. These are the top 10 what-you-need-to-know tips. Number one, I know I'm old in years, but my spirit still feels young. Do you remember being in your 20s and 30s? Now you're not, and your body keeps changing and aging. I still think I can flirt and do shots, but my doctors might not agree with my flirting skills. Number two, stop asking who you are. Seriously, you're old enough to know your own name and stop testing me. Yes, she's saying stop asking the patient. The, the the person in hospice who's okay. dying with dementia. Like, stop asking stop. them who okay. they okay. who you are. Stop going and saying, "Do you know my name?" Okay, I am so glad you helped me interpret that because I'm like, 
I don't understand what is going on here, she but says, I'm not in health care. Okay. This person okay. says, seriously, okay. you're old enough to know your own dang name by okay. now and stop I testing me. she was saying to say that to the dementia patient. No, no. This I misunderstood. Is, this is written from the perspective of the dementia patient. Okay. That helps me a lot because I got so confused. All right. So stop asking the older patients who you are because you know your own name and stop testing me. There are days you don't look too good yourself and I don't give a rat's booty who the president is and I ain't voted in decades. All right. So I guess one of the questions you ask them is, who, do you know who the president is? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So stop asking. What me. year is it? Who's the president? <laughs> over and okay. over. Now I totally get the lesson yes. better. <laughs> oh, listeners, welcome <laughs> to my end of the day. All right. Number three, stop hovering over me like a helicopter. It's not a competition. I love you all. You can't undo time. There's no magic pill. Just let me drink the Kool-Aid slushies. Number four, stop saying the word dementia. How would you like to be introduced as, hello, this is my daughter. She has hemorrhoids. (laughs) Yes, she has them real bad. Some days she has it so bad she doesn't even know who I am. Why? By doing so, I'm behaving like a jerk, talking about her private medical diagnosis to everyone she meets. Number five, I am not my dehumanizing diagnosis. Just remember when I die, you're going to need therapy, so don't spend all the money on the funeral. Buy a new bra, a strand of real pearls, new panties, and go have a nice dinner, but don't forget to wear your clothes or they will think you're like your mama and have dementia. Number six, I still enjoy laughing. Make your visits fun for me and you. Otherwise, just send flowers, candy, fruit, and male strippers. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven, too much stimulation makes me tired. Louder is not better unless it's with Elvis Presley. Number eight, I know I'm old and sick. Seriously, you're so old, there are days you don't recognize yourself. Number nine, stop buying me old people stuff. I'd like a red racy bra or jazzy PJs or a bright, soft cashmere sweater. Number 10, getting old is not always fun, but we can make it fun. All right. Well, I'm sorry. That took me a minute to get on there, Teresa, but once I did, those are brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I think that's really good advice. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. If Chris wasn't motivational enough for you today, this quote comes from Peggy from Ontario. She wrote, thank you, Sherry and Jen, for your wonderful podcast. I love listening. A few years ago, I was talking with another mom about her challenges raising up children amid the busyness of family life and other outside responsibilities. My friend said to me, all we can do is the next right thing. That comment has stuck with me all this time, and I often repeat it to others. So much is out of our control, and there is sadness and suffering and uncertainty in all of our lives. But instead of worrying and stressing, let's just try to take the next step in rightness and good judgment and not concern ourselves with what might arise way down the line. For me, this also ties into Matthew's gospel and Jesus saying, consider the lilies. I often say that to my children, consider the lilies. They know that what I mean is that God has it. Our job is to simply do the next right thing in that moment. I love that. 
So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review. If you have something to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you, email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com, and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.